This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When I met you in the summer. It's summertime, summertime, sum, summertime, 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 summertime. Take with the I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to the Equity Mate Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Sharesies. Over 12 episodes, we're deep diving into some of the most exciting, interesting, and well known companies from Australia and the US. Each episode, we're joined by an expert to help us unpack the key metrics, the bull case and the bear case. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, Great to be here. This is the only episode we've split into two parts, but it was worth it because this was a cracking interview. It was a cracking interview. We are joined by Harrison Moot from TDM Growth Partners, but a quick shout out to Sharesies, who are proudly supporting the Equity Mates Summer Series and who have also been awarded the 2022 CanStar Innovation Excellence Award with the judges saying the platform is unique with a significant wow factor as it reduces barriers to entry for new investors. And the platform is easy and approachable with their auto invest feature. So you can truly execute dollar cost averaging across Australia, US and New Zealand markets. Use promo code GROW when you sign up to the Sharesies platform for $10 into your account, ready to invest. We do not get any commission for that. It's purely for new users. Promo T's and C's apply. Download the Sharesies app or visit sharesies.com.au to learn more. And a quick note, we are licensed, but any information is general advice only. Do your own research. And uh, this is for entertainment and education purposes only. But yes, without further ado, we've had our conversation on Block Rent, but let's get in our expert, Harrison Moot from TDM Growth Partners. Harrison, welcome. Thank you for having me. So we are, we're here to talk about Block and you are, you cover Block at TDM. And so We've got, we're going to do the same four questions that we've been doing each episode, and it always starts with how to analyze the company. What are the key metrics that you're looking at? What are the key metrics for the company when you're starting to build an investment case for Block? Yeah, it's a good question. Actually, going through the process made me realize it's not an easy question. So Block, previously known as Square, it's definitely worth acknowledging up front. Like, this is a complex business it's something I look at businesses day in, day out. We've been covering this for over four years now and it took me a long period of time to get across and understand the business. So if you're looking at this afresh and you're thinking this is complex, this is hard, you're not alone, you know, it's a big business to tackle but our view is that it's definitely worth the time. So 
Block has three core businesses. Square, which is the merchant payment and services business. You'd probably be familiar with that. That's like when you go to a cafe or a small business, you tap your credit card. So that's their, their first and primary business. Second is Cash App. Cash App's relatively new. It's about three years old in its in its current form. They've had a few iterations, but in its current form today. And that's primarily a, think of it as like a neo-banking app for mainly unbanked and underbanked consumers in the US. Uh, so a little different to Australia where everyone can access a bank account in the US for about 40 to 50 million adults, it's actually hard, if not impossible, for them to get access to a bank account. Mm. 40 to 50 wow. million. That's like a meaningful percentage of the adult population. It's a huge number. Yeah. Um, so in the US, they have what they call the alternative financial services industry. So that's payday loans, check cashes. There's an entire industry which has grown up around, around that fact. Wow. And Cash App came along. They were no fees. They enabled, they basically enabled these people to access the modern financial world through this app. So that's Cash App number two. And then the third business, which you'd also be familiar with, which they acquired last year, was Afterpay. So the buy now, pay later business. There's probably a few listeners on the show that love and are familiar with that name. Yes. Yeah, there's one person in the room that is loved <laughs> and is familiar with it. <laughs> so they're the three core businesses and they're, they're the ones that you need to focus on when you're breaking down the business. Where I think the confusion comes in is you have five what the business calls initiatives. So this is title, yeah. the music streaming business, and maybe it's for another time why we actually think that acquisition made a lot of sense, but we think it does. And then the other four related to Bitcoin. So they've got Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin wallets, TBD, which is a decentralized Bitcoin exchange. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. It's sort of beyond my technical skis to understand really what that business does. And then Spiral, which is a not-for-profit whose mission is really just to advance Bitcoin um, as a future digital currency. But I think for understanding the business as an investor, you can you can push those five. The, there's one other, isn't there? Weebly or Webly? Weebly. So Weebly, they um, acquired, oh, that was probably four or five yeah. years ago now. The reason I bring it up is because Bryce and I were trying to put a bow on all of the businesses and how you would sum them all up. And we couldn't quite fit Weebly into that. So I think Weebly came about, their business was initially in-person card payments. So I run a cafe, I want to accept card payments. And that's where the, the little white dongle started. And then they realized they needed a solution as businesses moved online. Increasingly, and especially after COVID, business is omnichannel. Mm. You know, I may sell things in store, but I also want to s sell things online. And so they acquired Weebly and that gave them immediate sort of capabilities Great. in this space. Great. There um, we go. That, that's we go. the bow that we were missing. Yeah. 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 So today that would, that would really fit within the square business. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got these three core businesses. And then in addition to, I guess, the, the number of businesses you have, you have different revenue types. So... The, the first is, is payments revenue. They earn about 25 to 3%. It's different between different geographies, but we'll talk about the US because that's about 90% of the business. 25 to 3% every time somebody makes a payment through their processing. So that's the first type of revenue. The second is software revenue. So in addition to providing um, payment capabilities to those merchants, they provide software to run their online store like Weebly. They might pay $50 a month 
for that. They do loyalty, they do marketing, they do staff management. There's a whole ecosystem which they've built and that's software revenue. Thirdly, you then have credit type revenue. So they make loans on both the consumer side, so to some of those users we were talking about for cash app, and also on the square side. You know, if you need a loan to buy a new coffee machine, they enable that. In addition to that, they also have trading revenues. So they enable buying and selling of Bitcoin. um, And that's another type of revenue, which is which is also recognized. So when you look at their financial statements, you'll see transaction revenue, software revenue, Bitcoin revenue. So it gets quite complex quite quickly, particularly when you break that down for each of those three business units. The summary of all of that is the cleanest way to look at and evaluate the business over time is to look at gross profit for each of those segments. And the best way to think about gross profit is it's the revenue or the gross profit that accrues to the business after all the variable costs that they pay away. So in payments, yes, they charge court circa 3%, but they only really take 1% of that. So the margin on that business is circa 35%. Whereas with software, it's much higher at 80%. And so when you look at gross profit for each of those segments, it, it, it effectively abstracts away that complexity and gives you a better look into the underlying performance of the business. Yeah, nice. And is it a good picture? Yeah, so the the three segments you've got Square, which is doing about two point seven billion, and this is all this is all US dollars, but doing about two point seven billion dollars of gross profit, growing circa twenty percent. This is sorry, this is for the coming financial year, um, two thousand twenty two. Uh, Cash App is growing a little bit faster, close to 30%, and also doing $2.7 billion of gross profit. And then Afterpay is doing circa $600 million in gross profit and flat year on year. And so we'll come to some of the um, concerns people have about the business, but a lot of that, or some of that is in relation to Afterpay and why is that flat year on year? We have a view on that. And so all of that rolls up to, at a group level, it's about $6 billion of gross profit, growing 25% year on year. Can't complain with that. No, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> impressive. And like the, we were talking about the revenue growth just before the break. It is just an amazing story year after year, some, some seriously impressive numbers. So let's start with the bull case. What does the business need to do to build a sustainable competitive advantage in you know these three businesses that we're talking about? And what do you need to believe as an investor, I guess, to be long this stock? Great question. Maybe I'll break it into where do I think the competitive advantage of the business comes from? And then if they are successful on executing on this this vision, what does that that bull case look like from a valuation and returns perspective? So for the competitive advantage in the business, we really see it as coming from two distinct parts. So firstly, is their ecosystem approach to building businesses? And we touched on it briefly before, but back in, I think it was circa 2011, maybe a little bit earlier when Square first started, it was with, I don't know if you recall, those little Square white dongles Mm. you could plug into your headphone jack on your iPhone Mm. and that enabled you to accept debit or credit card Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still recall. My dad bought one of those recently and plugged it into his phone and his mind was blown. What are you doing, walking around the office (laughs) accepting payments? Uh, (laughs) No, he was doing a – he was selling shirts at a charity store. Fair call. That's probably a a classic (laughs) use case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they started – and going back to their – the mission of the business, and you'll see this go through everything they do, is economic empowerment. 
And so on the square side, the merchant side, that initially started because a huge amount of micro and small merchants couldn't access the ability to accept credit and debit card payments in the US. A bank would say, you know, you're too risky or you're only going to process 50 grand of payment volume a year, so it's not worth their time and effort. And what Square figured out was that they could make a elegant solution, they could make it easy to adopt, and they could effectively bring this this whole SMB merchant group into the modern economy and have the ability to accept payments. They started out with just this simple dongle. Not much else was around that. And I think at the time, people were skeptical of what does a long-term trajectory of this mm. business look like? Amazon could come into the space, which they did, offer the same capabilities. I think they had a triangle-based really? plug-in. Yeah, that. yeah. Oh, okay. Square better shape than a triangle, you got to <laughs> say. <laughs> and what they've done over time is they have, and this is, this is led by... Jack Dorsey, they have a very product-led, design-centric approach to building products and businesses, something which, which we hear a lot when speaking to formers, speaking with people who've come from their product org, is there's a huge amount of empathy for solving their customers' pain problems. So they started off with, with the dongle and then they thought, well, what we're really trying to do is help merchants make more sales. So what else can we offer them? What else can we create and develop to make their life easier? So that expanded into software. I mean, we talked about Weebly, the ability to spin up an online store. They expanded into marketing software. So how do you send emails or texts to remind people about promotions or what have you? Uh, and over time, if we fast forward almost 10 years later, they offer banking products, full suite team management, payroll. There's this incredible ecosystem that merchants now have access to to run and grow their business. And what that means is they've been able to grow up with the company. So over time, the average merchant size has grown a lot. And as they grow, they adopt more products and services, which drives more revenue for the business. But it also weaves them into the fabric of that ecosystem. So they're much less likely to churn. Mm. That ecosystem approach started off in Square and then the newer business, which is Cash App, similarly started off just as peer-to-peer -peer money exchange. So another oddity of the US banking system is it's very difficult and slow to transfer funds if you can access it at all. And so how Cash App started was simply just a peer-to-peer -peer money exchange, the ability for me and you to send money to each other yeah. and do that instantly. That had incredible traction because there is this large group of unbanked, underbanked um, consumers in the US. And over time, that's evolved to now offering the ability to buy stocks, the ability to take out a loan, the ability to have a debit card, rewards and incentives. So it's a whole ecosystem for consumers. We think that side of the business is much earlier on um, and we'll come to the 10-year vision and what that might look like. But what this ecosystem approach does is weaves them into, whether it's on the merchant or the consumer side, weaves them into the fabric of their life in a much deeper way. And so they have much more loyal, much stickier and ultimately more revenue generating customers. Related to that ecosystem approach, something we think about a lot is personal and, and mobile computing before Apple came along was this unapproachable, quite nerdy, unsexy business. Mm. 
Mm. Nobody looked at like an IBM laptop or an IBM personal computer and thought like, oh, that's cool, that's sexy. You know, I want to have that out on the laptop. So sorry, that laptop out on the train so people can see it. And we think as, as Apple has done for that industry, Block, Square, Cash App, doing for the financial services industry. So think about when you go to a cafe, how sort of aesthetically pleasing mm. the Square products are. They're, they're very design-centric business. And if you go, I'd encourage you to go have a look. On the Cash App side, some of the branding they do is completely different to what you'd ever see from a bank. So they got recently Kendrick Lamar and Ray Dalio to do an advert. Um, Together. Together. <laughs> which, which when we saw it pop up, I was like, well, like I can nerd out on this. Yeah, like two yeah, people yeah. that I really like. Um, and not a combination that you'd ever expect. No, you, yeah. you'd, you'd never expect Bank of America to have Kendrick Lamar talking about you know, running a business with, with Ray Dalio. Mm. What that's done is it has this incredible brand affinity for the merchants and the consumers who use it, particularly in the US. And you can see that on Twitter. They do this thing called Cash App Fridays where they basically do money giveaways through the app. There's a huge amount of love. You can custom design your own debit card. And so people share that online. I think there's, I'd have to come back to you on the stat, but over a thousand songs predominantly rap songs which talk about Cash App. Right, okay. Uh, I think there is a song called Cash App on Spotify. And so it's become as much a cultural movement as a financial services business. Mm. Uh, and that to us is pretty exciting. The one that, the other one that we were talking about before the break that we don't really know a lot about but we've heard about is Venmo. Yep. Is that their big, that's their big competitor? Yeah, so there's really two primary peer-to-peer players in the US and this is actually a good segue to where we see the second main competitive advantage which is in network effects yeah and so you've got two primary peer-to-peer players that's Venmo and Cash App and you could do this this really interesting exercise I don't know if you use Google Trends mm. at all yeah, yeah. so you can go onto Google Trends type in Cash App and Venmo and you can see the relative penetration across the states in the US and you can go back over time, I think it would have been in 2017, Cash App primarily started in called the urban southeast US um, and Venmo is much more coastal, coastal and wealthier on average. And you can sort of do an annual look of the relative strength in each state and you can see those network effects expand over time. And so initially, you know, call it in 2018, cash out's penetration in New York might have been 5%. Mm. I think in the last few weeks it just tipped over 50%. So now that's become a cash app state as per the Google Trend data. So now it's it's bigger than Venmo in Google Trends. It is. On Google Trends. um, They've got similar levels of consumers today, roughly 50, 55 million um, monthly active users. But the demographics are very different. So for Venmo, it's primarily coastal and wealthier. But for Cash App, it's typically lower socioeconomic. But because they have less alternatives, it means they're much more engaged. So the Cash App users are much more likely to have it as their primary or near primary checking account or or sort of financial app. Mm. Whereas Venmo is much more casual, like we might use Beamit or something like that in Australia. Yeah, we were were saying, because Cash App, not in Australia, um, just in the US. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Was Beamit, did did the banks see Venmo and Cash App over in the US and decide that they're going to build their own before they could come? I'm not sure. It will be. I mean, something we think about is how will Cash App, we assume it will at some point, how will they play a role in Australia? Because the banks... The banks in Australia do a much better job of serving consumers than they do in the US. We don't have this large unbanked or underbanked population. So their strategy will have to be different to expand into Australia and whether that's through more of products like buy now, pay later with Afterpay. Um, we think that will probably be the wedge that they'll use to come to Australia. Yeah, that's mm. interesting, yeah. Like, can they offer a different product or service? Um which is, which is unique or differentiated. Yeah. The network effects side, and this is probably when we think about so our real focus at, at TDM is the five to 10 year view of how businesses will evolve and network effects when companies get them right can be the most powerful of, of competitive advantages. Most of the call it top 10, top 20 businesses, listed businesses today all have some element of network effects. Yeah. As it stands today, Cash App, we talked about, has this peer-to-peer network effect, similar maybe to how we would think about, I don't know if you remember, Vibe, Viber, mm, WhatsApp? WhatsApp, yeah. Yeah, so it was, the, it was, an, early, yeah, it was yeah. an early competitor to WhatsApp. Oh. And over time, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no idea. So I was, I was just thinking about this actually going through the, the reflection is – Close to everybody today uses WhatsApp to some degree. Mm. You have some highly engaged users who might use it for business. They might use it because they have friends or family overseas. And then I might use it once a month. But almost everyone will will have the app and it shows the strength. And that's in peer-to-peer messaging. Shows the strength that network effects can have both within countries and globally. And so Cash App has similar dynamics for money in the US where it's effectively a a similar dynamic of peer-to-peer money. They've been able to acquire users for about $10 each, so a $10 CAC, and it can take banks on a similar basis, $200 to $300. So they've been able to grow the business to what's about 50 million monthly active users in the US really cheaply just because of these network effects. And maybe we'll come into the detail just on what that five to 10 year looks like in that section. But the next stage for the business, we believe, is how do they bridge the ecosystems, the, the merchant ecosystem they have of two to three million merchants and call it 50 million monthly active users? How do they bring them together? Mm. And we believe Afterpay was a key key reason for that. Well, I do feel like Afterpay is a glaring omission from your ball case at the moment. So. <laughs> no, no, saving the best for last. <laughs> Maybe just on rounding off the ball case, it'd be remiss not to do what does the return profile mm. look like? Because you can have a great business, but that doesn't necessarily make it a great investment. So the business today is doing, for this financial year, circa $6 billion of gross profit, growing about... 25%. So, but let's just say for the next five years, that gross profit compounds at 25%. So that's roughly a 3x. Uh, so gross profit will go from six to $18 billion. If you look at peers today, and given the breadth that they cover across both merchants and consumers and buy now, pay later, it does require a bit of triangulation to think of what's the most comparable business. But Two in the US, which we look at and which you'd probably be familiar with is Shopify, 
Uh, and then there's also Toast, which does merchant payments and software, but specifically for restaurants. Those businesses are growing 20 to 30% and trade on 11 to 13 times gross profit. So we'll be a little bit conservative and we'll say 10 times gross profit for Block in five years. So 10 times the 18 billion is $180 billion of enterprise value. Uh, and that compares today to an EV of about 35 billion. So obviously very round numbers, um, but it would indicate over a five-year period, there's the opportunity for a 5X return uh, if it plays out like that. And so for a business of this scale with network effects, you know, we think that's, that's pretty exciting. So that's the bull case. There's always some concerns when you're building an investment case and you definitely need to understand the risks and what could go wrong. So when, when you look at uh, Block, what are you most concerned about? What would be uh, the bear case for, for this company? There's three primary concerns that investors have, and I'll give you our perspectives on those and whether or not we disagree with them, but it's really exposure to Bitcoin, the risk around buy now, pay later, which is funny, they spent $30 billion on it less than 12 months ago and now it's a primary risk that comes up. And thirdly is, I'll call it the recession risk. So firstly, with, with Bitcoin, Block's founder is Jack Dorsey. He is heavily associated and a big proponent of Bitcoin, yes, the the sort of the bearded wizard of of the Bitcoin world. Mm-hmm. Given Jack's association with Bitcoin and the initiatives which Block itself has, what we were talking about at, at the start of the episode with Spiral and TBD and Bitcoin hardware, Block has become itself to be heavily associated with Bitcoin. And if you go back over the last two and a half, three years, and you plot the Bitcoin price over the block share price, the correlation is very tight. Right. And so the perspective is that block and Bitcoin, their fates are sort of tied together. Mm. But and and we think this is this is part of the opportunity that Bitcoin is less than 2.5% of gross profit for the company today. So there's this perception reality mismatch where the economic exposure to Bitcoin is effectively close to nil, but it has this large perception exposure. All this makes me think is don't rebrand in a bull market. Block (laughs) kind of screwed up uh, changing their name from Square to Block and uh, Facebook screwed up changing to Meta. Both of them aren't, you know, their their economics are tied to their old businesses, but the perception is tied to the new business. I think that's right. In the Block case, you know, Facebook is spending billions of dollars on the metaverse and making it come around. Still $39 billion in CapEx a year, $10 billion of that to the metaverse. The majority is still not going there. It's a- true. Anyway, and- different, <laughs> different conversation. <laughs> and with, with Block's case, so they're spending less than 3% of their cost base a year on Bitcoin-related initiatives, so a much more manageable number than the 25-odd percent. Yeah, yeah coming from Meta. Anyway, I interrupted you there. You were talking about the bear case and the Bitcoin exposure. Bitcoin exposure. So we think we think that's really just a, a perception reality mismatch. And so that's something we're less concerned about. And I think one thing that we're reticent to do, so Jack Dorsey founded Twitter. He then founded Square. Square then launched another business called Cash App, which is a multi-billion dollar business. This is a guy who's founded three multi-billion dollar businesses um, 
in his time and he has a view that Bitcoin could be very important to the future of money and the future of commerce. And if you think that Block is a financial services business, then whether or not Bitcoin does become that future digital currency is is potentially a pretty big deal. And so we get comfort to some degree that Block is leading a lot of the initiatives in the Bitcoin space. And so in the event that Bitcoin does become more of a dominant digital currency, you know, the native currency of the internet, then Block will be well positioned to, if not do well, to lead that um, that evolution of, of commerce or digital currency. And for 3% of OPEX, it feels like it feels like a good way to hedge your risk. So that's uh, Bitcoin. Two other risks for the bear case. Let's get to what was the the hottest ticket in town the last couple of years that has gone maybe a little bit cold. Uh, buy now, pay later. <laughs> so buy now, pay later. So Block, as some of you might have remembered, acquired Afterpay in mid-2021 for $29 billion US dollars. That was in script rather than cash. It's interesting to note the market cap of the business today is about $35 billion. Mm, mm. Um, so how things have changed yeah. in, <laughs> in only a short sort of 12 to 18 months. The concern that people have around buy now, pay later, I think comes down to two things. Firstly is the credit risk going into a recession. So Afterpay provides effectively short-term credit um, or short-term financing to consumers for small ticket purchases. And the concern that people have is as we go into a recession, consumers will stop paying back these loans and it'll lead to large losses, if not a slowdown in the business. Our view on that is one of the very valuable things about Afterpay's model is they underwrite each new purchase. And so they can respond very quickly to changing sort of macro environment and they can pull back how much credit they're willing to provide on a very active basis. And so we've actually seen over the last two quarters, even though there has been a softening of the macro environment, that their loss rates have improved. Uh, so they have the ability to taper that back over time. The second risk is this massive increase in competitive intensity that happened sort of the 12 months following. I mean, it was competitive at the time, but it increased massively in the 12 months following their acquisition. Um, so you had players like Klarna come into the space, mm. PayPal launched their own product, mm. which was pay, pay in four. Zip was obviously already there. but. Yeah. A firm, lifted. a firm. Yeah, they were there, but yeah. There was this increase in competitive intensity, and part of the reason why why we hadn't invested in um, Afterpay previously is that it was unclear to us how the industry sort of rationalised when there was a pullback, when funding of the space became a little more what we thought was rational, yeah. and now that Afterpay is a smaller segment of a much larger, profitable and well-capitalised business. And it is, at the end of the day, I think we come back, there is a lot of product love around Afterpay. The reason why it grew as quickly as it did was because merchants found it an incredibly valuable product in attracting a new segment of users, driving revenue, and then consumers loved using it. They preferred using it to credit cards. Um, so that value prop, still remains for both parties and we think that 
as part of block, it now gives it an added degree of resilience. If there is a pullback, if there is a macro recession, they'll have the capital and the scale to work through that period. Those were the first two risks, Bitcoin, buy now, pay later, and then the third risk... The third risk was was macro and, and recessionary yeah. environment. The perception is, and, and the perception is correct, that on the merchant side, Square services, primarily SMB merchants, so these might be farmers markets, these might be smaller cafes, they are increasing over time, the average size, but on average smaller merchants. And then on the consumer side, these are lower socioeconomic, typically unbanked or underbanked, consumers in the US. And again, they are expanding out of that demographic. But as of today, that's the vast majority. And the concern that people have is, well, as we go into a recession, how are those businesses and individuals going to be impacted? On the consumer side, you know, you're more likely to lose your job if unemployment increases or have your hours reduced. So there's the concern that both of those businesses will be disproportionately impacted if there is a weaker macro environment. There is a lot of truth in in that concern. And the way that we think about the risk is it's always relative to the return profile you're taking and also the time profile or the time that you have to make that investment. The time frame that we care about is the five-year period. And our view is, okay, there may be a difficult 12, 18, 24 months ahead if there is a significant recession that plays out through the real economy. And that will affect those merchants and consumer groups. But Block, given its scale, given the role that it plays within those merchants and consumers' lives, will probably be able to increase its share or increase its engagement. And then as the the macro normalises, then it'll be in a stronger if not the same position out the other side yeah, nice. mm. and so we think those fears are are probably overplayed at the moment um which isn't to say that it could be a difficult 12 to 18 months uh but if you're patient you have the ability and the emotional fortitude to look through that then we think it could be interesting well let's um close out by having a look at the long-term plans tdm love thinking five ten plus years so where to if if everything goes according to plan if if dorsey if bitcoin's not an issue if they can merge their apps if afterpay where does block sit in 10 years time so we think and this is the really exciting thing for block uh we have this concept that we talk about internally called vitality and vitality is really a business's ability to push into new areas, new products, new geographies, new verticals, um, and expand the business horizons over time. The best example of that today is probably Amazon. You know, they started off selling books and now they basically do everything. Another good example is Apple. They started off in personal computing and now they've pushed into mobile and have a huge amount of businesses in there. We think Block is one of those businesses with a very high degree of vitality. We think that's largely a result of the culture which Jack Dorsey promotes within the business. He gives the leaders of of those businesses a lot of autonomy to take them in the direction which they want. And they also have a culture of innovation, allowing new products to, to be spun up, seeing if they work. If not, that's not a bad thing. The more important thing is that they're trying new initiatives. So Cash App actually came about as a Hack Week project uh, and now it's a, 
a $2.7 billion business and probably the most valuable part. And so over the 10-year view, the analogy we think is closest to how the business might look are the super apps in China. Wow. So you have WeChat and Alipay being the two biggest ones. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever been to China and used either of them. No. It's this incredible experience where your entire commercial life effectively runs through that app. So you want to order food, you do it within WeChat. You want to buy a bus ticket, you do it within WeChat. You want to purchase for something at a store, you do it within WeChat. And so we think Cash App has the ability to, in many ways, evolve to, to play that role in the US um, and potentially globally. We think it's the team, given that focus on innovation and vitality, we think it's the team to execute on that. And that probably takes us to Afterpay and why we think it might actually prove to be a very interesting acquisition and probably a very valuable acquisition to make. Yeah, I've been holding out for this. <laughs> so what's, uh, yeah, what's the story here? The fun fact about Afterpay is that it sends about a million leads per day to its merchant partners. Wow. wow. So if you go within the app, it's more of a shopping and discovery tool than it is a buy now, pay later business in many respects. Yeah. And that's incredibly valuable to those merchant partners who adopt Afterpay. They get not all the 1 million leads per day, but they get uh, leads coming from Afterpay. And so if they're able to incorporate that within Cash App, which has about four times the number of users, then the value of those leads, the number of those leads that they're sending to merchant partners effectively bridges the ecosystem and creates two-sided network effects where merchants want to come onto the platform because they get access to these consumers. Consumers want to come onto the platform because they get access to buy now, pay later, a whole host of other features, as well as some of these rewards and discounts on the merchant side. Mm. And the interesting thing about payments is that Visa and MasterCard have had an effective oligopoly on the payments network for uh, many years now. You do have American Express, which is slightly different, but where the real potential value might come in is their ability to bridge the ecosystems and become what's called a closed-loop payments network. Right, okay, so not not run payments through those two? Through, through the other networks, that's correct. Right. And so if you make a payment and typically they, accept, they charge 3% but only receive 1%, yeah, yeah. they may charge... From a competitive basis, so you'd prefer to use Square, let's just say they charge 2%. So it's still cheaper for the merchant, but now they have double the effective take rate that they did previously. Mm. Now, you did flag that you had a vision for Tidal. Will TDM have a view about where Tidal could be? And I know it might not be core to the, the thesis here, but I do want to ask about it because uh, Bryce and I were joking about it uh, when we were talking about the company. Neither of us have ever used Tidal. It was an interesting acquisition when it happened. Yep. Maybe Dorsey just wanted to meet Jay-Z. <laughs> Jay-Z now sits on the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's, the, what's the view? Where does Tidal fit into this world? So actually I wrote a, um, a blog post on this. I can't remember the name, but if you go to the TDM website, it'll, it'll be on there somewhere. We'll include the link to that in the show notes to this episode. Great. If you think back to Block's primary mission of economic empowerment, Firstly, they uh, worked with merchants who'd been historically underserved by the financial industry. Then they worked with consumers who'd been underserved. 
Artists are also a demographic which have historically been underserved. And so I think Jack saw it firstly as an opportunity to bring them payments and software capabilities to help them manage, grow and run their business. You know, artists are effectively small businesses themselves. And so you can see how they have the core capabilities um, to help help that demographic. I think secondly, and probably more interestingly, is going back to that comment that there's a thousand songs out there with Cash App in it. There's a couple which are called Cash App. Jack appreciates the power of culture and the power of brand in business. And by buying title, it gave the business a relationship with these artists. And so if you think about driving adoption of Cash App, Cash App has these cash tags. And so similar to an email address for sending emails, you can have your cash tag. So mine might be, you know, Harrison 100. And so you can type in Harrison 100 and send me 50 bucks. But they provided the ability for these artists to leverage that as their first port of call. So if you have people like Jay-Z who say, I use Cash App, that's my preferred payment provider. The the brand pool that has, the cultural significance that has is is massive. Mm. And so they have, they've partnered with Serena Williams, a few other sports people and artists. <laughs> Kendrick. <laughs> Kendrick, thank you, to drive that brand in that association. And so I think I think that's why it was the acquisition was made. And if Jack, you're listening to this, I'd love you to read the article. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. On, here's here's the question though, Harrison. Have you ever listened to a song on title? I actually have not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's your homework. I'm, t- I'm yeah. too much of a Spotify user. I know, I know. Another great business. Well, good place to leave it. Fascinating, fascinating business. And if it does really play out over the next 10 years, then uh, it's going to be a, a great story to watch unfold. So thank you so much for spending the time uh, this morning, Harrison. Really do appreciate Thanks very it coming much. in. Um, and yeah, check out TDM website if, if you'd like to see... Uh, some of Harrison's work. So uh, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Harrison. It was fun. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.